Well, it's good to see you all. It's fun to actually preach to faces for the first time. Uh, like uh, Sam already mentioned, there was a lot of different points of view over the last two years. A lot of different things in the in the in the field of view that you're preaching to. My favorite was a Winnebago. Uh, there was also a drill press at times. Sometimes a speedboat. Um, various things. Sometimes bikes. You know, preaching to different things. You guys are better. Your faces are much better, even though they're masked up. Um, we do get to talk about generosity today, and maybe you guys are thinking, okay, we had this relational rhythm series going on, uh, which just as a, you know, as a sum up, if you haven't been here, we're talking about different things that are normal and are practices that we all do for building a relationship with God and others. So one of the reasons why we wanted to do this series was, was things have been really scattered and chaotic for the last two years, so we thought, hey, let's get some structure back into our relationships with God and others. It's one of the reasons why we wanted to do church again. And so we've been talking about prayer and Bible reading and all those kinds of things, things that kind of make sense. Maybe you've heard the term spiritual disciplines before. Matt talked about fasting last week, just things that we do that are spiritual and they make sense. And you know, Bible meditation, all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if you think about the term generosity as a relational practice. Maybe that's different. Uh, as generosity as a spiritual discipline. Maybe that's like, oh, okay, interesting. I didn't think that that was something that we practiced. How do you practice generosity? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So how do you make generosity a rhythm? Uh, it sure, you know, how do you practice being generous with God? And some of you might be thinking already, it's like, oh, just make sure you're tithing, sermon over or something. <laughs> like, is that all we're going to talk about today is just tithing, making sure we have a relational practice of giving. But here's what we want to talk about today is, is having a practice of giving is having a practice of charity the same as having a practice of generosity? Those actually might be different things. Uh, I have a habit of giving. Things are really easy, uh, for, especially for tithing these days at church. You just, like, you put your credit card into the planning center thing, and then it comes off, and you don't even notice. Like, all the stuff that you were went shopping anyway, and you pay off your credit card at the end of the month, and you, you know, a year later you get a an income tax receipt, and you're like, oh yeah, I tithe. <laughs> like, sometimes it feels like that, or you just get used to it, and you have this practice of giving money, which is a beautiful thing, but what, is, what does that have to do with generosity in your heart? Is there a difference between giving and generosity? I think there might be sometimes. I think there might be. Uh, I would argue, and we're going to read some scripture today, that talks about generosity actually being a heart posture more than an activity. So do you see how that might be true? How we could have an activity that's definitely giving, it's definitely charity, it's definitely even costly, financially anyway. But generosity kind of begs this other thing of like, mm, maybe there's something else going on here. So how do you practice a heart posture? How do you practice being a generous person? So what I want to do is uh, we're going to read uh, a text in Corinthians. And what this text is, is Paul writing a letter to the Corinthians and basically what he's doing is he's bragging about another church to the Corinthians in this passage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But just to give you some context, Paul, Paul is one of the apostles in the New Testament. He writes letters to all these different churches, usually that he's planted. And this particular section is him telling the Corinthians about this other church in Macedonia, specifically around the area of giving, uh, collecting an offering, uh, to keep churches alive, about generosity, about giving to the church. So we're going to do is we're going to read through this, about nine verses, and uh, I'll read through the whole thing just so we have it as a backdrop. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, 
of the church in Corinth. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their, on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as, he had, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test, I love this, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, so that you through his poverty, might become rich. Father, thank you for this uh, small portion of your word, and I pray that you would teach us today about what generosity in your kingdom really is, and you would give us... Uh, Big gifts today as we engage our hearts in faith and we let your spirit speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, these days, uh, in the backyard of my parents' house, we're building a laneway house that uh, my wife Steph and I are going to live in. Some of you are thinking, wow, you're living awfully close to your parents. Well, we currently live in their basement, so it's going to feel like a really long way away uh, by the time we have a There's going to be a yard in between. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> no offense, guys. Um, so we're building this laneway, and we've decided to take on a bunch of the tasks on our own. And by we, I mean my dad decided to take a bunch of the tasks on on his own. And that just happens to enlist me and my brothers for a lot of different things. And some, some others of you have actually been enlisted. And we've been relying a lot on the generosity of others for getting this thing done. There's some great Levi and Jacob and, uh, you, and Ivan. There's a great photo of Ivan. There's a great photo of three of them whole, trying to jackhammer something sideways. It's possible. If you have enough men, you can jackhammer things sideways. Fun fact. So we've been relying on some generosity. Now, uh, you know, you learn things when you, when you need other people to be generous towards you. It's not a comfortable feeling. And it's something you can't even really ask for. You can ask them to donate their time. You can ask them to work hard. You can ask them to give. But generosity is like something that you don't actually know what's going on in their hearts. Like, do you want to be here? Maybe you just feel bad and you're coming to... Like, there's a lot of reasons why someone would show up and give their time. Not necessarily out of the overflow of the joy of their whatever, you know? So, I, uh, if, imagine if I asked someone to come help. And they ask the question, okay, how generous do I have to be? Like that question makes no sense. It's a paradoxical question. If you're asking how generous you have to be, you already missed it. Like you, it's the teenager doing the dishes thing. It's like, how, how generous do you need me to be, mom? And the mom's like, you missed it. You missed the opportunity to be generous, so... 
fillets and then do this and do that because I need your help. But you miss the generosity moment. Does that make sense? It's like once you ask, the moment's over. So this is interesting. I, maybe you ask this question with your relationship with God and with others. The, the question of how much comes up in your mind, doesn't it? How much? It's not just money. It, it could be time. And so you start asking these questions in your mind. Be like, how much is this? Is it 10%? Is that worth it? Wow, okay. Uh, how, much, how many classes do I have to take? So many classes, so many logos. Uh, how much time do you need for me? Do I have to serve? If so, how much? Like there's these how much questions that bubble up quite naturally in our hearts, I think. But maybe if you're like me, it already feels a little bit too late once your heart's in that place. You're like, well, how do I get back to wanting to do all these things? How do I get back to wanting to give out of like the Macedonian church seemed to do? So you may give lots, but do you want to? Generosity is a heart posture. Um, another part in Corinthians later, uh, it's, it's in chapter 9. Paul keeps going on for a couple of chapters about giving. You know, in chapter 9, he says this. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> you know, when you read that, you kind of just read it. You'd be like, yeah, well, what, what if I don't feel cheerful? Like, what do I do differently? So Paul here is, in try, is trying, I feel bad for the guy in a way. He's trying to encourage through a letter to this church in Corinth about how to have a generous heart posture like this other church does. What do you do? Because you can't ask for it. You can't ask the teenager to be generous. You, you, you ruined the moment. You, like, they, they have to already want to. So what's Paul going to do? What's he going to do? Well, he does a couple of things that I want to highlight to you. First, he compares the audience to others who have demonstrated the right heart. Well, actually, no, I want to do the other point first. I'm sorry. First thing he does, he contrasts heart posture with Christian activities. He contrasts heart posture with Christian activity. Uh, in 8.7, it says, But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. The ESV is interesting. Uh, I had to do a little bit of research on this verse. It's a bit of a tricky one. It just Bible nerd with me for a second. There's three triads in this verse. The first three are faith, knowledge, and speech. Okay? And what they mean by faith, knowledge, what he means by faith, knowledge, and speech is faith that's like uh, wonder-working faith. Like, I'm going to have faith to move mountains. He's not talking here about, like, the kind of faith and trust in Jesus that's about salvation. He's talking about faith to do cool things, faith to see things grow, faith to see mountains move. Really cool Christian activity, big faith, like Sam was talking about. Knowledge, talking about spiritual insight, knowing what to do, being wise, prophecy, those sorts of things. And in speech, it's not just talking about being eloquent, it's talking about like specifically the area of tongues and worship. So you guys excel in all these really cool Christian activities. You got big faith. You got, uh, you, have, you have good spiritual wisdom and insight. You even have worship that's off the hook. Like you guys are doing great in all these activities. Here's another, th this is the second triad. In all earnestness, love, and grace, see that you excel in those also. In earnestness, mm, that's not an activity. That's a hard posture. In love that we've kindled in you. Oh, excel in the love that you guys have for us. Okay, harder. Oh, excel in the grace, also translated as thankfulness. Excel in thankfulness, in giving. 
Okay, so you see how those three triads are a little different? So he's contrasting Christian activity with heart postures. So if you're reading, if, you know, if the church in Corinth is having this read out in their church, they're going, oh, all the things that come naturally to us that are super fun, that we can get better at, he's actually, he's encouraging something different here in this passage. So, um, <laughs> Paul's basically just saying, check your heart, guys. Check your heart. Thanks for doing all this stuff. Check your heart. Because it doesn't matter if your heart's not in the right place. One more thing he does, as he's trying to address this heart, is he compares, and this is so bold, he compares the audience, the church in Corinth, to others, this other church, who've already demonstrated the right heart posture. He has the audacity to just go, to go to another church and brag about, like that would, that would be, well, I'll read it out, just to remind you. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Verse 2, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. It's, it's the equivalent of me like coming up here <laughs> to you guys today. And uh, it, did, like, doesn't this sound so manipulative? When you read this, like Paul writing this to this other church, it'd be like me coming up here and going, guys, I visited this amazing church last week. Let me tell you. They had such nice stuff. Their refugee Christmas baskets had, I don't know, like stuff from the body shop in it. Uh, like, I made that at Lush. I don't know which one's better. But like, they just had, and, and they were, and, and then they meant it. Like you could see it in their eyes, guys. Man, they get it. Anyways, like, could you imagine if I just went up here and just bragged about this church I visited? That'd be, that'd be crazy. It'd be so manipulative. It makes my palms sweaty thinking about doing that, actually. It feels manipulative. But, uh, yeah, imagine if I come up here and says, man, their hearts were sincere. Not sure about your guys' hearts, but man, theirs for sure were. He has so much confidence in this Macedonian church. Like, whatever he saw in that church was super real, and he's so desperate for this church, this Corinthian church, to have the same heart posture that he's willing to look quite manipulative. Like there's an earnestness in his own heart being like, there's something that you need to know about these people. There's something that you need to know, church in Corinth. And I'm going to risk sounding a little manipulative right now for the sake of you guys uncovering something that they really get. 8 verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you, because you can't command people to be generous, like I said, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Just Can you just chew on that sentence, the boldness of him to do this? Hey, guys, I'm going to do you all a big favor. I'm going to test how sincere your love is how the sincerity of your heart by directly comparing your level of generosity or giving with other people. You're welcome. There must be a reason. There must be a reason why he's so desperate to test the sincerity of the hearts of this church in Corinth. There must be. So I think, you know what I think is going on? I think Paul feels really responsible. And I can resonate with him in this. I think he feels really responsible to test the sincerity of the love inside the hearts of his churches. 
he feels really responsible for the hearts of those in his church to be sincere and earnest, not just obedient or functional or even spiritual, earnestly loving. And he feels a sense of responsibility for that. There's um. There's a, I was at, a, I was at a, a, a pastor's thing one time and some other pastor came in and we were all asking him questions about, you know, how to be, he was like a, a prolific pastor in the city. And so we all got to ask him questions, part of like a church planting kind of training type deal. And he, uh, the topic of giving came up, like tithing in church. And he says, he's like, oh, I know exactly how much everybody gives in my church. Like I, I look it up before I go meet with them. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's bold. And he's like, yeah, we'll have to have to know where their hearts are at. Oh, wow, that is. So all of these things are going off in my mind. Like, that's not the only way to test earnestness of people's hearts. Like, I'm just like freaking out inside my mind, you know? You're gonna come across manipulative. But he went on to explain how desperate he was in any manner to test the sincerity of the love in, the, in, in his people. If they're not sincere, if there's no love, what am I doing? Like, I might offend a few people. I'm sure I have. He's like, but like, I am so desperate to make sure that there's love and earnestness in the hearts of my people. I'm willing to even, I mean, obviously it's private. He's not going to go talk about dollar figures with them, but it gives him a window. It gives him a window, a place to start. <laughs> so... I mean, I just, I personally can't bring myself to it. I just don't think I can handle that level of quantitative data. And personally, I do think that there are other ways to test the sincerity of people's hearts. There are. I really do. But Jesus used money as a way into, as a window, as a way to talk about people's hearts like no other subject. Money was the main one. There's a good case can be made. It's one of the main avenues into where your heart's at, where your treasure is, your heart is also, all these things. I forgot to read this earlier, but it, Still works here. In First Corinthians, in his first letter, he's a little more angry in that one. He's a little nicer in Second Corinthians. But he says this in First Corinthians. Um, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have the faith that can move mountains, but I have not love of nothing, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. See Paul's desperation here. So notice earnestness. If you put back eight verse eight again for me, Mitch, um, you notice that earnestness is being compared, not amount. I want to. I want to try to test your earnestness. I'm not trying to compare value. I'm not trying to say this is about dollar figures or amounts. Very interesting. So again, the how much question doesn't make very much sense, does it? There's something else being assessed. So why? Why would Paul have so much confidence in assessing the sincerity of the hearts of the Corinthians? What could his, what could his motive possibly be that he would be so bold as to go there? You know? Like we're doing today, we're going there today. I hope we have the same motivation as he as Paul had in this letter. I hope I have the same one. And he says it in 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Just for clarity, this verse is not talking about Jesus' economic standing. Uh, all signs point to him just being kind of a normal person in, you know, Roman Palestine. You know, he, did, he ate and he had a job. And he wasn't that poor. He's kind of poor. Whatever. It's not referring to his economic standing. It's referring to the fact that he was God and he came and dwelt among us with his creation. That he impoverished himself, so to speak, for our sake. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. You and I. That we might become rich in the most eternal, everlasting sort of sense. Rich relationally, but rich in the idea of life and life to the full. So here's what I'm thinking, guys. As Paul here is talking about, how he's trying to help this church be generous. And what he's saying is, is that generosity is the only possible response to generosity. When we have been shown the kind of generosity that you and I have been shown, there is only one logical response. It's generosity. And if there's nothing, if there's something else isn't in your heart, then what we have to call into question is your awareness of how generous, how much generosity you've been shown. It's all we can really talk about. Again, we can't argue our way into a heart posture. All we can do is pause and reflect and consider Christ. That's all we can do. If our hearts don't feel great right now, which mine doesn't often, it doesn't feel generous often, all that we can do is consider Christ. Uh, you go back to verse one for me, Mitch. Um, I want to give an example first. I think about going back to our teenager example. Uh, if you're a parent of a teenager, some of you are, some of you have been, some of you will be, uh, whatever, he's considered as a good example. If there isn't generosity in the heart of that teenager, there becomes this, there's only really one thing you can do, is you, you, you're generous to them. And you hope and you pray that they consider your generosity towards them as a model. You can get them to do their chores until they're 18, and then they say, thanks. Thanks for the deal. All right, it was a good deal. Kids get the better end of the deal. But maybe it was just a deal. But you hope as a parent that you give your whole self to them, and they look at you and go, that's different than a deal. That's a miracle moment. They will go, you're being generous to me. Oh, I could do that. I could be generous too. It's a prayer miracle that a disciple would be made in a home, so to speak. Not just a way of living trained up. It's like, no. It's like a parent going, consider me and all that I've done for you. And parents do this all the time. That's usually, don't you know what I've done for you? <laughs> There's not so much grace coming along with it. But the point remains, don't you know what I've done for you? Is the main heart cry in every raging parent, isn't it? And in our flesh, it comes across as, don't you know what I've done for you? But when Jesus says it, he's like, may I show you again today, this morning, this evening, what I've done for you? And he stands back in ultimate vulnerability and lets our hearts 
respond to that kind of generosity. It's brilliant because he wants our hearts. So, in verse one again. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace. We want you to know about the grace. Just listen to what Paul's saying. Church in Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God's given the Macedonian churches. We want you to know about the grace. I think generosity is a practice of knowing the grace that you and I have been extended. Knowing it fully. Living in it fully. And what is this grace? We just read it. That Jesus gave of himself. What's Paul saying? Hey, Corinthians, there's, there's a church in Macedonia that gets it. They're giving of themselves like Christ did. They're generous like Jesus was. Let me tell you about these guys. They're generous like Jesus was. You can see it in their lives. They're giving of themselves. They give themselves first to God and then by God's grace to us also. But, but they give themselves first to God. It's just beautiful. And generosity flows up out of their hearts. So I think when we live as people who practice giving of ourselves in the same way Jesus did, we know the grace in our lives of God continually. When we live as people who practice giving of ourselves continually, we know the grace of God in our lives continually. You know, and I think in, in response to that, I was like, Lord, let the sincerity of my love be tested. Just let it be tested. Every time I welcome a test of my heart, the sweetness of my salvation is always the aftertaste, not God got his way. God got his money. I never feel that way. God got his time. When my heart is tested and when, when I'm given the opportunity to respond out of love and I look at my heart and I go, it doesn't want to. And all I can do in that moment is consider Christ's generosity towards me. And then, I, and then I act on it and I respond and I give like he would of my whole self. You know what at the end? You know what I never feel like? Manipulated. Never. I never feel manipulated. I feel so grateful that he would give me the opportunity yet again to experience the fullness of his grace, to know it in my heart, to have it be the only reason I would do anything. I never feel tricked. I never feel like God got his way and he tricked me. I always feel like I got the better end of the deal, that my heart was able to know a thing, that, that it was able to know the grace and then live out of it, not knowing it in some intellectual way, knowing it in a way that's a relational rhythm with God and others around me, where I, my heart can't help but be a conduit for the generosity I've received. Like, that's good news. I don't want to just have a transactional relationship with him. So, What if we were a people that lived in God's grace, that had a rhythm of that? And you know what? I think it begets more generosity. I think it does. I think it begets generosity. I love, I love this church in Macedonia who urgently pleaded with them for the privilege of giving. Please, please let me know the grace of God again. Is there an opportunity where I could know his grace? Is there an opportunity where I could know it in my heart or in a way my heart is tested? And they're pleading, pleading with Paul to let them contribute. In verse 6, it says, So we urge Titus to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. 
saying, don't miss out. Don't just let it be a thought or a nice thought. Complete it. Really do give. Really do be generous. Really do bring this act of grace to completion. I want to read one more verse, and it's uh, 1 Peter 4.10. says this, yeah. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God, God's grace in its various forms. I think we're faithful stewards of God's grace. And sometimes one of the forms is money. Sometimes one of the forms is time. Sometimes it's conversation. Sometimes it's effort, whatever it is. But we're stewards of God's grace and nothing else. So if it feels empty to you, if your heart feels unwilling or it feels a little stingy or it feels a little closed or you're asking how much questions, then I would encourage you, even tonight, to go, Father, would, would you help me know your grace again? Could I be a steward of that, please? Could I be a faithful steward of all that you've done for me? Let me express a shadow, a tenth of what you've done for me. Can I, could I just be a faithful steward of that? And guys, I think generosity becomes the, the least of our concerns when we let our hearts be rendered like that. And again, my experience in the area of generosity is that I get the better end of the deal every time because I know his grace in my heart. And it just becomes this beautiful rhythm of God. Look, God, how, how could I give myself like you did today? And I'm going to do it so much more poor than you, but would you let me? Would you let me experience the privilege of living in that rhythm? Man, I think it grows us close. And I think his heart's so overjoyed when we're generous because there's only one reason why we would be. It's because we understand what the Macedonian church seemed to have figured it out. We seem to understand it. We seem to have grabbed hold. And the overflowing joy was combined with their extreme poverty. And it welled up in rich generosity. I think that's miraculous. So Lord, I ask you today, Mushri, you guys can come up. Father, I ask you tonight, as we contemplate this practice of generosity, not just giving, but of, but of having our hearts, having our hearts be at the center of these sorts of decisions. Lord, I pray that the only thing that we would do in a moment when we feel conflicted is we would consider you. We would consider your overwhelming generosity towards each one of us. And Lord, if there's any lack of an awareness of your goodness, Father, I pray that you would meet these humble hearts this morning, this evening. I pray that you would meet this amazing group of people as we humble our hearts and say, Lord, teach us again about your grace. Teach us how to be stewards about what you've done for us. Teach us how to live like you lived. As I'm praying, I'm just thinking that maybe there's some of you that are going, I don't know if my heart knows this grace right now. I don't know if my heart is uh, soft or humble like that in this moment. I don't know if uh, giving out of a heart posture feels accessible. I feel like I'm asking how much questions, and I don't feel like I trust God. I don't feel like I can open up my heart to that degree. Um, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. Lord, I pray that you would comfort each heart now that feels cautious of generosity, 
that feels cautious of giving of themselves. Father, I pray that you would comfort them now and remind them about what you would long to teach them about yourself. Even now, Father, I'm just going to give you a moment to speak to each one here. Lord, what would you want to teach us? What would you want us to know at a heart level? What would you want to remind us of? Father, I'm so grateful that you gave it all. Father, I'm so grateful that you gave it all. I'm so grateful that you became poor so that I might become rich in you, so that I might become rich in relationship. Father, thank you. Thank you for your generosity. If you need to thank him for his generosity, I invite you to do that in your heart now. Lord, thank you again for how generous generous you were to us. We consider you now. We consider the fullness of your love now as a family again. We consider how great the price was. We choose to let ourselves feel the overwhelming sense of love that comes with an acknowledgement of your depth of love for us. Father, may we not leave this place without one one little taste of your generosity. And I pray that it would flow out of here pray that we'd all be faithful stewards of this immense sense of grace that's so hard to understand so you bestow it on us and you ask us to live it out that some might begin to grasp Father I feel like I'm just beginning to grasp how much grace you have let that be the motivation of our generosity in Jesus name Amen